please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now we come uh, to our final study in this first chapter, um, before looking at the second chapter, God willing, next week. And my title uh, for this evening is Made in the Image of God. Made in the image of God. And we come uh, now to uh, the creation of man. Everything has been leading up uh, to this point. Everything has been uh, prepared. Every, we've been looking forward, anticipating this one great event. All that has preceded this final event on day six, this final act of God's creation, was in preparation for this, uh, the creation of man and woman. This is the high point of God's creation. This is the pinnacle of his creation. This is the crowning creative act of God's, uh, God's creative uh, creation, the, the, the making of man and woman. All that has gone before is but just a preparation for this moment. And it shows once again to us just how valuable, how important as we'll see, a man is. Man is unique. The creation of man, as we'll see in a, in a short while, is uh, unique. And it's something that is special. Something so very different from the animals around us. So very different uh, from everything, anything else around us. So here in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. Let us. There seems to be here, friends, a pause. The Trinity is pausing. And it seems, let us. It's, it's in the plural there. It's not, this is not God talking to the angels and saying, let us make man in our own image, as some people say. Some people say it's as if God is having a conversation with himself and saying, let us, say, speaking to himself to say, let us make man in our own image. But that doesn't make any sense. The only thing that makes sense here is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in conference together, in council together, 
And verse 26 is them coming up with this plan. Let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. Let, him, let us give him dominion. And then verse 27, the plan is put into action. So something special is going on. And there is this, uh, this pause that's taking place here before he actually creates man. To, to make us as well to stop and think. We've said before a number of times how God is taking his time and going gradually, step by step. Day one, he creates the light. Day two, this, day three, and so on. He creates so that we can observe, so that we can see, so that we can admire God in action and appreciate all the more. And now, even more that he is pausing here. The Trinity pauses, counsels together. How shall we make man? We'll make him in our own image and in our own likeness. And we should uh, stop as well to think about uh, this, this special moment and take a special note about it. But the main thing about this, of course, is God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Man is going to resemble God. Man, we could say, is going to look like God in some way. Not physically, but we're thinking here about the qualities that are going to be endowed upon man. He's not going to be divine. He's not going to be divine like God, but he's going to, he alone of all the created beings, he alone will possess godlike characteristics, godlike uh, qualities. And I'd like just to mention uh, some of these things uh, uh, here. Firstly, we could say one of the ways in which he resembles God is that man is, has a, is a reasonable creature. Man is a thinking person. Man has a mind. He has that power of, re of reason within him. He's able to speak. He's able to communicate. And all, all these godlike qualities of intelligence are given to him. He's able to think th things through. He has this ability to think deeply about uh, things. And we see, even in these very early days, friends, that uh, Adam and Eve were, were, were endowed with a, a large amount of intelligence, a vast amount of intelligence, right from the very beginning. He'd need it because he's going to be entrusted with the earth. He's going to have to manage the, the earth. He's going to have to subdue it. He's going to be a steward of it. So he, he's going to be responsible for it. So he needs intelligence. He wasn't, uh, put, it, put it in a, a blunt way, a dumb person who doesn't know anything and needs to be taught everything step by step by step as a child. No, he was already equipped with intelligence as an adult, created as an adult, right from the very uh, beginning uh, that, he, that he began to exist. In chapter 2, in verse 19 and 20, you can see how God brought the animals to Adam, and he had to name the animals. Well, that, again, is another level, an instance of his, uh, of his intelligence. So right from the beginning, we see that man was created to, uh, to be superior over the animals. And this puts another spanner, doesn't it, in the, in the, the spanner in the works of evolution theory. 
Evolution theory says the opposite. Evolution says, oh, the first humans, oh, they were primitive, they were Stone Age cavemen. They didn't know very much, and they had, to, they had a very limited uh, intelligence about them. And that intelligence only developed over time, after years and years and years, then they, become, they became better, and they were able to produce tools and, and do other things, art, artwork. Uh, man, they say, went from a primitive state to a civilized one. Really? <laughs> really? No. Because, uh, as we said here, a man, right from the beginning, uh, is uh, intelligent. In Genesis chapter 4, and you can look at this in your own time, but Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 22, we have instances there. Maybe you've read through this, not really gained much, as I have sometimes. Uh, but look at here, verse 17, uh, chapter 4, uh, Enoch builded a city. Well, that's going to take design skills, construction skills to build a city. It's not easy to build a house, never mind a city. And uh, then we move on. You can see in verse, uh, where is it? Uh, <coughs> sorry, I've lost, I've lost my place. He built, he built a city and he called the name of the city after his son uh, uh, Enoch. And then moving on to uh, uh, verse 20, he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have uh, cattle. So they were cattle uh, farmers. They knew how to breed cattle to raise them. Look at verse 21. Uh, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. They were musicians already at this early stage. They'd already made musical instruments and were using them. And then in verse 22, uh, Zilha, she also bare to Balkan, an instructor of every artificer in brass and uh, in iron. So here they were, they are forgers even of tools in bronze and in iron. So capable people. And we have to, uh, you know, people laugh at creationists, but actually I think it's a little bit of ridiculous when they say that a man became uh, more intelligent over time, when that contradicts really what the Bible is here saying. So man, has, man is uh, given this image of God uh, in terms of uh, having this intelligence, but also in terms of having a free will. When he was originally created, man had the power to choose God or to reject God. He had a free will. He had the power to choose good and to reject evil. He, he had a, a free will. Now we may say, why? You may think, why did God create uh, Adam and Eve with this free will? Isn't that dangerous? Because they may turn against God, which is what will happen. They may become rebels. That's what happened. Why did God take the risk? Why didn't God just create somebody who would automatically just do uh, his will? Well, I think we know the answer. The answer is that God didn't want robots to serve him. God didn't want just people who are, who are just going to be programmed into doing something like a computer and program it and you know what's going to come out. No, God wanted free will offerings. He wanted love. He wanted people to love and serve and obey him willingly from the heart. And so he endowed uh, people uh, with uh, free will. He didn't want people to be coerced into obeying him, but by choice to choose and to follow him. And they see his goodness, and they see his love. 
Uh, how about today? Do we still have free will? Do we still have that choice to choose good and choose evil? Actually, friends, after the fall, we lost our free will. We don't have the power now to choose God. We don't have we have the power to choose, but here's the problem with us because the fall has so affected us because sin has got so deep within us, it's affected our affections, it's deadened us towards God so that we uh, have no inclination towards God and it has also affected our, got so deep into our affections that we have no desire for God. So you know the will is connected so much to our, effect, to our affections. So because our affections are not in the right place, because they not only don't, uh, are not inclined towards God, they prefer sin, so the choice of the will is always towards sin and not towards God. So do we have free will? Not really, because we're so tied in with our affections, which is for sin, that we want to go sin's way. So we, we don't have that free will. It's only when God comes in by His Spirit and regenerates us and changes us and gives us that inclination then into our hearts and into our, our wills. He puts that, changes our effect. He opens our eyes to see the goodness of God and we, then we choose God. Then we follow Him. But uh, when we're converted, we don't see this often, what happens in the background, as it were. What God is doing in our hearts to us is just seems like, well, I chose the Lord. Well, that's true. But beforehand, the Holy Spirit was working in us to give us that inclination and that willingness. In the day of his power, uh, we return uh, to him. But uh, originally they had uh, free will. Uh, and then also, of course, the, the spiritual capacity uh, to connect with God, to relate to God, to communicate with him. This was a special uh, blessing given uh, to, uh, to, uh, to man, a moral consciousness. He was made upright at the beginning. Adam and Eve only knew uh, the uh, upright thoughts, righteous thoughts. They knew nothing of sin. Like their master, they were kind, uh, they were loving, they were pure. Creative skills as well. Well, we know this. Man is very creative. Even today we see so much of what he does. And just like uh, th these are uh, qualities that God has and God has imparted also to him. Something else about man in which he resembles God is immortality. God alone is immortal. He, he cannot die. It's, a, it's an inherent quality with God. But he shares this quality with us. We had a beginning, but we know we, we, uh, we will we will never die. Our souls, we say, are immortal. But man in his original condition did not carry within him the seeds of physical death. Man, before he fell, he couldn't die. And if Adam had stayed upright and had obeyed the commandment, well, he and his family would have populated the earth and would li lived on the earth in a righteous way if he'd passed that test there would have never been any death in this world. Uh, death would have had no power over him. It's only when he sinned that death came into the world. And then we can see one more quality 
and that's in verse 26 where God says let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and uh, so on over the cattle so man is given a dominion uh, over uh, over this earth but it's not a sovereign dominion it's a stewardship of the earth it's a gift from God to look after it to take care of it to uh, nurture it and to uh, as you'll see in a minute to replenish it and uh, and to make use uh, of it the world the, the created world is subject to us I think we we see this we know it we feel it as as human beings that uh, we are uh, the animals are subject to us the world is being made subject also uh, to us and then in verse 27 God carries out that plan as he intended to do as he dis discussed to do so God created man in his own image in the image of God created him he him male and female created he them three times uh, for emphasis the word created is used male and female just two genders no more today we have so many genders I remember when I was teaching abroad and I think in the, in the, in the Far East and people laughed when I told them that in England we talk about a hundred plus genders and it is laughable isn't it because uh, there are only uh, two uh, genders uh, here two uh, male uh, and female equal man and woman are equal uh, on, in status and also complementary woman is not inferior to the man she's just as capable as the man she's just as intelligent as the man she's not weaker in intelligence yes she has some particular skills that the man doesn't have and vice versa the man has some particular skills the wife doesn't have or the woman doesn't have so marriage is uh, uh, complementary they help each other what the man doesn't have uh, sometimes a man can't see something the woman the wife will say what about this side she sees things from different angles and she gives advice from different angles and all that helps as, as they come uh, together uh, as one the woman is on the same level the Bible is what the Bible teaches right from the very beginning people criticize sometimes the Bible uh, what Paul says and said he was against women it's not true because uh, he would have followed uh, these same principles uh, laid down uh, here so uh, <coughs> the world when we look at when you think about genders well I have to think that the world is going mad when you see all that's happening it's it really to me is, is going crazy they say man is man became more intelligent over time I think it's the other way around I think man is becoming less intelligent and he cannot even define people who've been, I'm sure you've seen this, people who've been to some of the top universities in the world. They cannot define what a woman is. They cannot say what is a woman. They have great trouble and they try and deflect and answer uh, to that uh, question. Well, friends, even you may have picked up on this news just recently in the Irish Parliament. They're currently trying to pass a bill and the bill regards the rights of pregnant women and uh, breastfeeding mothers at, at work and this bill it's 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 brought to our attention because it 
deliberately omits those words like uh, female, woman, mother, girl, all these words, you won't find them in this bill as it's passing through. And then it goes even a step further. It protects the rights uh, of men to breastfeed at work, which is, which is ridiculous, isn't it? Does it yeah, and we're growing in intelligence. Do you know that? We're, we're advancing in intelligence. Hmm. Well, this is, this is the way uh, that uh, people are going. But here the word of God is very clear. Two genders, man and woman, male and uh, female. Incidentally, we could also say something else about this, which is, which is current. One human race. One human race descended from Adam and from Eve. There are not many races, don't get it wrong, friends. There are not many races in the world. There's only one race. We all have, all have one blood. As somebody used to say to me, you prick, prick here, whether you're, you're a white person, a brown person, a black or yellow, uh, same color blood comes out. And that's what the Bible says. We're, we're all of one blood. We're all of one blood. We all come from one race. Adam and Eve, you could say initially, but also you could go back, go a little bit further, and talk about Noah and uh, his, his family. We all are descendants of Noah's family as well. So one human race, not, uh, not many. But then uh, let me move on uh, quickly to verse uh, 28. And God said, uh, sorry, and God blessed, blessed them, and God said unto them, uh, be fruitful. In incidentally, this is just an overview of the creation of man and especially focusing on that image in which God has made him. And in chapter 2, it's an elaboration of a creation account, and it goes especially into detail uh, about the creation of man, and we'll come, into that, come to that in due time. But verse 28, God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. So these words were some, somewhat similar uh, to what God said uh, to the sea creatures in verse 22. God blessed uh, those sea creatures and saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, fill the waters in the sea and let the fowl multiply in the earth. So uh, replenish the earth. Uh, Adam and Eve were to fill the earth, were to populate the earth. They were the first two humans there and they were to uh, fill it. And also to subdue it. This is what's called the creation mandate. Uh, the creation mandate. They were to exploit the earth's resources. God has placed so many resources in the world around us. And man was to utilize it and to use them for uh, his benefit and for his good, for his improvement uh, in this life. And we've done just that, haven't we? We've actually... Uh, we do quite well in this area of subduing the earth. All that we have in this room, probably, comes from the earth, its resources in some way or another. Now, nowadays, in our modern, modern living, well, we can dig deep uh, beneath the land or drill into the ocean floors and you know, uh, tap into those petroleum reservoirs that are there uh, to bring up the crude oil. So we have our petrol and so on, and we have gas. We're using what's there, what God uh, has uh, placed there. Medicine, clothes, cars, houses. All, all these are possible because of what God 
has placed in the earth, in our environment. And man is uh, using that in this way. Uh, uh, this is what God means here when he says to, uh, to, to man, subdue the earth, use it, uh, and make use of it for uh, your, your good and for your benefit. <coughs> now, I'll just say in passing, just briefly, uh, there is another... Uh, another another mandate, this is the creation mandate, but you may have heard of the cultural mandate, which is somewhat linked to this, but I won't go into detail with it. But this cultural mandate is a little bit mm, dubious, to put, put it mildly, uh, because it, it, it emphasizes taking everything, t using culture and reclaiming culture for God and for God's use. So it in, in, in includes political elements to it. So somebody who is very big on this is actually uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller, has, uh, the American uh, in, uh, person, he's been promoting this and speaking of this and advocating, uh, encouraging even for governments and politicians to have Christian laws and to imp implement Christian laws. And there's a, a big focus on reclaiming uh, culture, even worldly culture, even things like movies and films, reclaiming these things uh, for Christ. And it uh, sort of, uh, it, it puts a question mark on it because we are called to, in a sense, uh, to come out from worldly, sinful culture. And yet, uh, from, from their point of view, you often embrace uh, these things that are questionable. So, just need to be a little bit uh, I just mentioned that in passing, just to be aware of it. Cultural mandate, don't get it confused with the creation mandate here, which God uh, speaks of in Genesis chapter 1. But in verse 29 and 30, well, uh, I won't read the verses, but there we see how <coughs> um, food is provided for man and for the animals. Man and beast are both vegetarians. No meat eaters at that time. They're all vegetarians. And man, as you can see, well, he's going to have more than his five portions of fruit and veg. And uh, that was what they lived on. There was no death, of course, at that time. So uh, they all lived of the fruit and the vegetation of the land. And then finally, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It was very good. This is the first time God says, very good. On every other day of the week, uh, of creation week, except day two, he had said, it was good what he had made. But now here, God saw everything. He reviews, he looks back over his work. He looks over it and he says, as a craftsman, uh, looks over the product that he has just made and completed and varnished and finished. And he says, uh, he may say it's, it's very good. So here also, God looks over everything that he has done. And especially the creation of man must be in his mind and says it is very good. Oh, friends, what a world that must have been. How beautiful that world must have been to see it as it was. No violence in that world. No disorder. No disharmony in it. A safe environment. Oh, how he loves a safe environment. And you choose a place to go to or a place to, for your new home, 
you want a safe environment? Well, this whole world at that time was safe. No fear of anything. No fear of animals attacking you. No fear of dengue fever mosquitoes or mosquito uh, or mosquitoes carrying malaria to bite you and worry about that. No destructive winds and storms. No pollution in the atmosphere to affect your breathing. Oh, friends, no viruses are there. No poison ivy to spoil your, your garden. No unbearable weather to complain about. Oh, it was perfect weather that they had. The, the temperature there was just right. That's why they, one of the reasons why they had no clothes. They were naked and they could bear it. They, we, we, because the atmosphere in the, in the daytime and in the evening also was just, just right. Perfect conditions, no death of course, Nothing, no, no, no fear, no anxiety over death. A perfect environment, everything was very good. And uh, how wonderful uh, God's creation is. How thankful we can be friends, even though this, the other side of the fall that we now are on, that we can still enjoy many good things. But our world really was nothing. Our world today is nothing in comparison really to what it was originally. Oh friends, since God took such great care to prepare these things for us and to endow each one of us with such gifts and such abilities to know him, to, be, uh, to rise up above the animals, gifts exclusive for man, then we must give him, isn't it, our best service. We must return to him our best. He has taken so much care for us. Well, we must love him and respond uh, uh, with service for him. The fall indeed has marred our image. We don't bear the image in the same way, but it's still there in every believer and unbeliever. But uh, it's still there, but faintly. The conversion uh, is the beginning of the process uh, whereby God is restoring that image uh, in us, that image that we, he desires us to have, especially reconnecting us uh, with our maker, with our God, and with our heavenly friend. Made for fellowship with God at the beginning. God, man was made to walk with God, but now, and so too with conversion. It's that bringing us back through Christ to walk again with him, to know him, to love him, to worship him, and to be near him. Oh, God willing, we shall continue uh, to look in more detail at, in chapter 2 at God's uh, creation, especially of man and woman.